right, guys, here we go. Myself, Sleepy J, Chris Dell are here. Uh, we're going to talk fantasy stuff. Chris is the fantasy expert, so we're going to go ahead. We're going to rely on him. We just did our quarterback podcast the other day, talked about all the quarterback rankings, uh, where Chris has them, where he has them tiered, and uh, you know what we were buying and selling really with quarterbacks. So we're going to kind of keep along with the same theme here and go ahead and we're going to talk running backs. Uh, for those of you guys who are trying to get you know, in touch with Chris at Mad Journalist, it is M-A-D-D Journalist on Twitter. Uh, you guys can reach out to him. He has all his fantasy stuff that he puts out each and every week. And if you guys are looking for our NFL full season package, that's up as well. You guys will get player props for every weekend. You'll get uh, all the fantasy stuff from Chris every weekend and then all the you know, the other stuff that we have up there, whether it would be rankings, you know, weather information, injury stuff, uh, look ahead lines and all that cool stuff. So uh, go there, check that out. But we got to go. We got to rip and run here, Chris, and get into our running back stuff. I have another podcast to edit here as soon as I get done. Why don't we talk about like the first five running backs, Chris? We did a, a podcast the other day uh, where we talked about quarterbacks. We did a draft. Um, I think it was maybe the same night we did a, a just a, a regular normal draft and, you know, the running backs were obviously, you know, some of the first things to go off the board. But why don't we talk about like your first five, uh, maybe your tier one type of guys. Um, is there any, anybody that you're high on? I mean, you have McCaffrey, Cook, Henry, Kamara, uh, Zeke's in there, maybe Nick Chubb, maybe a Barkley, any of those particular guys that you're really high on or, or really low on? Yeah, so I'm, I'm going to uh, reference throughout this episode and all the positional podcast episodes we do from now until basically Labor Day is we're going to be talking about versus ADP, which is where these players are getting drafted on average, and then versus ECR, which is expert consensus ranking. That's where the, basically the average of all the analysts in the industry who are posting their rankings on Fantasy Pros. Uh, it's like a, it's basically like a, a contest rankings, accuracy contest for analysts in the industry every year. So those are the two data sets we're going to use to compare who I'm higher on and who I'm low, who I'm lower on versus the market uh, drafters and versus analysts alike. So a lot of those times there's going to be very similar. Sometimes they will be a little different, but that's basically what we're going to be using as a reference point here. Uh, basically we're talking about 12 team leagues basically and 12 team league. Let's talk about the top 12 running backs. Chris McCaffrey, he's in tier one all by himself. We, we all know that. We don't need to go too much into that. If he's healthy, he's going to smash. No other running back in the league gets a workload like him when it comes to rushing attempts, goal line attempts, and passing volume. Dalvin Cook, tier two, all by himself. Call him Christian McCaffrey light if you want to in that type of sense. Hopefully he's a guy who stays healthy. And we don't want to be betting against these guys or fading them just because Christian McCaffrey might have been banged up last year. So you're, if you got the number one pick, you're taking CMC. If you got the number two pick, you're taking Cook. If you're in a ton of leagues and you want to add a little bit of a diversity to your portfolio and you've got like the number two pick and like three, four drafts, then yeah, switch it up a little bit. You don't have to take Cook every single time. Tier three is where you really kind of get the cream of the crop because then you have running backs three through 12. And to be honest, Sleepy, I don't know how much of a difference there is between all these guys, I have my personal preferences, which we'll talk about here. And I've got number three, Aaron Jones, all the way down to number 12, Clyde Edwards, Elaire. And those are two of the most high scoring offenses in the league. We're talking about the Green Bay Packers, the Kansas City Chiefs. In between, I've got Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara, Najee Harris, Derrick Henry, Zeke Elliott, Joe Mixon, Saquon Barkley, and Antonio Gibson. I think 
the key takeaway here is that you want to be able to leave the first two rounds of your drafts with one of these running backs on your team, at least one of them on your team. Unless you're, you know, you're in a shallow uh, league, like 10 teams, eight teams, and you feel like you want to load up on elite receivers early. Um, my best case scenario is leave the first two rounds with one of these running backs and you're going to be in pretty good shape. And Aaron Jones for me is a guy I've got number three overall. And we talked about him a lot on the mock draft episode where, I mean, look, Aaron Rodgers threw nine touchdowns from the one yard line last year. That That's not a number that's going to sustain itself from year to year. And if those numbers aren't going directly to Aaron Rodgers throwing touchdowns at the goal line, it's going to go to Aaron Jones, who is one of the most efficient, who's been one of the most efficient running backs in the, in the red zone and at the goal line over the last few years. And let's not forget that Aaron Jones has been a top five running back for each of the last two seasons, being in an offense where he's getting 55% of the snaps. And you know that number, okay, it might not go to 70% this year with no Jamal Williams, but it's going to go above 55%. And the most important part of that is that the targets that Jamal Williams left behind, those targets are going to go to Aaron Jones because A.J. Dillon's a guy who maybe caught you know a handful of passes in college at most. So, yeah, A.J. Dillon, he's going to get some carries. He's going to get some snaps in this offense. But we're talking about PPR leagues, half-point PPR, where you're getting points for every reception, no matter how many yards you get. And Aaron Jones, with the workload he's going to get, with the goal line usage, playing in a high-powered offense, regression is coming his way. And the fact that Aaron Rodgers will not be able to keep up such an extremely high touchdown rate, those touchdowns, a lot of them are going to trickle down to Aaron Jones. So you see increase in snaps. You see positive regression. You see increase in targets for a guy who's already finished top five in the NFL in terms of fantasy points per game each of the last two seasons. That's why I definitively have Aaron Jones as my number three overall running back in my PPR rankings. Now, behind him, I've got Austin Eckler. I have Alvin Kamara because, again, these are running backs that are going to rack up targets all season long. And if you're getting the rushing upside in addition to the passing, receiving upside from these backs, those are the guys you want to be targeting in your drafts if you have one of the top six or seven picks. So number three, Aaron Jones, number four, Austin Eckler, number five, Alvin Kamara, because Kamara, I put him behind those guys because I believe Taysom Hill will cut into some of those touchdowns in the red zone for the Saints. Even with Jameis Winston starting, you're going to see Taysom Hill get in the game for some of those short plays near the goal line. And then number six, I've actually moved number six up a lot over the last week, and that's Najee Harris. And Najee Harris could wind up getting the most touches out of any running back in the league this year. With the way that the Pittsburgh Steelers play a high-paced offensive game, they're near the top of the league in terms of the amount of plays they're running per game. And he's going to be very active in the receiving game with Big Ben, who was notorious for the short passing game that he displayed in that offense last year in Pittsburgh. So I've got Najee Harris firmly at number six. And right now, if you look at the ECR, the expert consensus rankings, that's seven spots ahead of where other analysts have him, which is other analysts have him at RB13 on average. I've got Najee Harris at RB6. He's getting drafted at RB11. So I'm very bullish on Najee Harris in addition to those other guys who I group all together because Derrick Henry doesn't have that pass catching upside. Zeke Elliott, to me, doesn't have that pass catching upside. Mixon hasn't shown it. Barkley, the injury concern is there. And Gibson and Edwards-Hilaire, we haven't seen that consistent usage 
But that's in a nutshell from top to bottom in my tier three. Oh, those are the running backs. But before we get to that next set of guys who don't possess that same type of upside, both catching the ball and running the ball out of the backfield. Well, you mentioned, you know, all these guys are going to catch a bunch of passes and you have basically one through 13. And as I look here, um, clearly every one of those guys can go ahead and catch passes except probably Derrick Henry. He's an exception to the rule. I mean, he, you know, ran for 2000 yards last year, but you mentioned Barkley and you mentioned Taylor. A lot of people were down on Barkley because of the injury. Quite honestly, I don't know what to expect from Taylor. Uh, different offense, you know, with a different quarterback in there this year. But, you know, you had mentioned you might be a little bit low on Taylor, maybe a little bit low on Barkley. You know, what's your reasoning behind that? Because I haven't come up with a reason to be high or low on them. I know you actually went through, you've done the work, you know, you, you've dug in the bolt to these guys and, and kind of, you know, what their expectations were you know, last year and in the past with Saquon. But, you know, what do you think that's going to happen with them this year? Well, Derrick Henry is the type of guy, when you look at the top 10, even top 15 running backs from last season, he's the only running back that finished with less than 20 catches on the season in 2020. And the fact is, is that he needed 17 rushing touchdowns in order to be the number three overall running back in point in fantasy points per game. And, and that's including the fact that, you look at Christian McCaffrey, whose season was cut short. In the couple games that McCaffrey played, he was averaging 30.1 fantasy points per game. Derrick Henry was averaging 20.8 fantasy points per game. And he's not scoring more than 17 touchdowns on the ground. And the fact that you add Julio Jones into that offense now with the same type of scheme where they're going to dial it up passing-wise and be very efficient throwing the ball as well, you know, you get to a point where Derrick Henry were – He's had more carries and more tread on the tires put on him than any other running back has over the last couple of years with the amount of work that this guy's gotten. And there's only you get to a certain point in time where basically these teams, just can, uh, a team like the Tennessee Titans, they cannot continue to ride him into the ground. So, I mean, look, Derrick Henry's great, but this guy's had 681 carries over the last two seasons alone. I'm not saying he's going to break down by any means but I don't see him getting to the 378 carries for 2,000 plus yards that he got to last year. So because of those reasons, because the passing, you know, pass catching upside is not going to be there for him. The fact they added Julio Jones, which gives them, gives them an extra receiving threat, another weapon in the offense to take away touchdowns. Look, I've got Derrick Henry seven. I've got him as a top 10 running back. I've got him right outside the top five. By no means am I telling you not to draft Derrick Henry, what I'm telling you is, is that in a PPR league where you get one full point per reception, I'm taking Aaron Jones, Austin Eckler, Alvin Kamara, and Najee Harris over Derrick Henry. And a lot of the same re same reasons here go for Jonathan Taylor, who was very disappointing last year. If you, re you remember and you look at his game logs and the early to middle parts of the season, it wasn't until like the last four weeks of the year where he really broke out and had some real type of explosive games. And that had a lot. That had a lot to do with the schedule that the Colts were playing towards the end. They played against some of the worst run defenses in, in the NFL. You go, you fast forward now to 2021. The Colts have one of the tougher defenses in the NFL. And if Jonathan Taylor's not on the field in a positive game script, most likely the guy going to be catching passes in that offense is going to be Naheem Hines. And that's a real problem when it comes to Jonathan Taylor's upside in the passing game, especially when you add to the fact that I think we're getting. I don't know if we're getting an upgraded quarterback. 
you could argue a downgrade at quarterback if, if Wentz is injured or not. He's definitely not the Wentz we once knew a few years back in Philadelphia. And how much is he going to use the running backs in the passing game as well? So we don't know Carson Wentz's status yet. It looks like he's on track to play. But originally that diagnosis for his injury was supposed to be potentially missing six, seven weeks. And now he's going to be ready to go. I don't know if he's going to be 100%. And I'm not too bullish on the Colts coming out of the coming out of the gates and winning a lot of these games and being in a lot of positive game scripts, which is what both Henry and Taylor need to be in in order to hit their ceiling and max out their value. So I've got right now, I've got Jonathan Taylor at number 14, right behind Nick Chubb, which is right at the top of tier four and Derek Henry. He's just an anomaly, which is why I have him grouped in with these other pass catching backs, like behind him, Zeke Elliott, Joe Mixon, Barkley, Gibson, CEH, Henry's right in the middle of that tier three just because of how dominant he is on the ground alone. But I'm not going to put him right at the top there. I'm going to take those other guys who can easily rack up 50, 60 catches on the season. You're talking about 40, 45, 50 more points on Derrick Henry just because of that catching alone. And that's going to play a big role at the end of the season when we look back to see who our top 10 running backs were by the end of the year in fantasy. So what about Saquon, though? Because I was in a draft the other day, and he went fifth. And I haven't seen anybody take him fifth anywhere. And, you know, he's coming off of, you know, the the injury. But, you know, he said he wasn't going to play unless he was absolutely 100%. I haven't read anything bad, but I haven't really read anything positive. I mean, it's kind of been, you know, rather quiet. But let's say Saquon goes out, and let's say he's 100%. You know, could he be the top running back in the league? Or are you just so kind of pessimistic against him with the injury? Um, and more than likely, maybe, you know, some of it has to probably have to do with, you know, that Giants offensive line um, not being the greatest either. But, you know, wh- where are you putting Barkley right now? Because I feel like, you know, when there comes question marks within your, let's just say your top 13 guys, I think Barkley probably has the biggest question mark that hasn't been answered at all of the running backs. Yeah, no, it's it's a good point. And, and the fact that, look, Barkley hasn't even been cleared to play in week one, that he's going to start, that he's going to get a full workload. And frankly, when it comes to the first round of your drafts, um, I don't think any of these guys are, are going to necessarily win you your league in the first round. But a guy like Barkley, and he gets hurt in week one, week two, week three, uh, a guy like that could lose you your draft or your, lose you your season in the first round of your draft. And that's not something I want to use that that high draft capital price on is a guy like Barkley who's coming into the season banged up, who's had some pretty serious injuries now over the last two seasons. And and the offensive line you brought up is a great point. I wouldn't as, I wouldn't even be as high on Barkley, uh, as low on Barkley as I was, if, if not for the injuries. But then you had the fact the offensive line, the two games that Barkley played last year, I had to bring this up to remind myself, but again, the, the, the two games he played, albeit in a limited capacity, he had 15 carries for six yards against the Steelers. And, and if you look back even to 2019, some of his rushing efficiency in those games w- was really bad. So he, he's had some games where he's really struck, struggled to pretty much do anything on the ground. And the fact they have not proved their, they have not improved their offensive line at all. Daniel Jones has not shown the ability to improve or get better on his end either. So I, I think that's, that, that's a big deal when you're talking about all these different things in terms of what they can and can't do. And I just don't know if Barkley can stay healthy. In, in a perfect world, Barkley 100%, no injury concerns. 
then he's, he's going to be right up there with a Dalvin Cook in tier two, number two, three, four overall. But the fact we still even have him in this tier, that's almost, that's almost dangerous to do on his own. Because honestly, if Saquon drops to pick 13, 14, I don't even know if I'm going to take him. I, I, I might just let him I, – I might just not touch him. It, he might have to fall to pick 20 or, or round three for me to actually want to take him. So that, that's a real good point. Is like at what point is the cost worth it? Is the risk worth it? Honestly, for me, I haven't taken him a sing, in a single best ball draft or a single redraft yet. So I, I'm kind of too, uh, TBD on that point right now. And my buddy brought up a good point with Barkley. I mean, he's a big NFC East guy, but – he said he kind of reminded him of of Barry Sanders and the stuff that Barry Sanders went through when he was in Detroit with a bad offensive line is that, you know, he would chip away for his two, three, four yards, but it was that big play that always seemed to go ahead and, and, and get Sanders, you know, across the, across the finish line. And I kind of feel the same way with Kamara in a sense. Like we know he can catch passes, you know, he's electric too, but I don't think you're going to get a ton of rushing yards out of him. You're waiting for him to kind of break out maybe in that passing game or, go ahead and get a little bit loose in the rushing game and he's going to get you, you know, that kind of big run. So we, we went through kind of like your, your top tier there. Well, let's jump into like the, the second tier kind of area. I'm guessing you probably had it, you know, JK Dobbins in there, Chris Carson, Montgomery Swift, guys like that. Um, unfortunate news for, for Baltimore Dobbins is going to miss the season. Um, that, that kind of sucks for them. I mean, more than likely it's probably going to be Gus Edwards, uh, they have a couple other guys on the roster that are backup running backs. I don't think, you know, they're going to do much. Uh, maybe you could draft them, you know, in a season long if you got a, kind of a deep league. But um, what do you make of, of the Baltimore situation? Because people were like, oh, jump all over Gus Edwards if you can get him. I mean, wouldn't he be the starting running back if he was that good? So I don't know what to make of that. And then Travis Etienne goes down for Jacksonville. And Robinson steps in. I got to be honest, Chris. I actually I used Robinson in my DFS league uh, for week one. I kind of like his matchup. But why don't we just talk Dobbins, talk um, and and talk Etn? Like, you know, what do those losses mean for you? Is there any way that you try to take advantage of that, whether it would be in DFS or season long with those two, uh, you, you know, teams in particular? I feel like I took good advantage of Robinson. I'm going to use him in DFS. Maybe he has a high percentage being owned for week one, but um, I like what he did last year. I think he could help them out. Well, you know, that's this this is the tough one with Robinson because uh, look at, you know, if you're familiar with the movie Major League where the owner was trying to run the Cleveland Indians out of town and she literally just brought the worst players in, in the league on their team to try to tank. I think that's what the Jacksonville Jaguars were trying to do last year. And, and that's the same thing in terms of what, you know, we're getting now with Robinson. Is, is he a cast over from that team? And as well as he played, he's like one of the underachievers who broke out and, and still had a great year. Like some, somebody who was a nobody and they're like, Oh, just throw this six round or, or undrafted, undrafted rookie into the mix and he won't be any good, but we're just going to give him 300 carries anyways. And James Robinson proved to be pretty efficient with, with those touches that he got last year, even though he kind of wore down towards the end of last season and got banged up a little bit. So the one thing when it comes to James Robinson is how is the new coaching regime in Jacksonville going to affect what his workload's going to be? And right now, none of us can say that we have the answer to that, Sleepy. Like, we don't know 
if Urban Meyer and his coaching staff are going to use James Robinson the same way that last year's coaching staff used him. So I think that's going to be very important when we talk about, you know, where do we rank James Robinson? Do we just look at last year's fantasy numbers and say, oh, well, he's got to be a top 10, top 15 running back. Right now, I'm trying to temper my expectations a little bit. I wound up moving James Robinson into tier four, which is right around the likes of uh, Carson, uh, Chris Carson, Mike Davis, David Montgomery, Miles Gaskin, et cetera. Um, but the more you look into it, you just don't know right now exactly what his workload's going to be, even without Travis Etienne in the picture. I mean, look, Urban Meyer's an Ohio State guy. You know who else is an Ohio State guy? Carlos Hyde. And would you be surprised at all, Sleepy, if you saw week one roll out and James Robinson gets 14 carries and Carlos Hyde gets 12 carries? You know what I mean? No, I wouldn't be. No. And, and, that's, and, and that's very within the realm of possibility here, which is why I've been I, – like I said on previous podcasts, like these rankings I'm adjusting at least once per day. And when you start looking into some of the coaches' comments during training camp, during preseason, during the offseason – you know, where, where, do, where do these guys actually put these other players in their minds? And we got to think, we got to forget about what we think we want to do with them or what we want them to do with them. We got to say, what, are, what is the coaching staff actually going to do with a guy like James Robinson? So I think because of those reasons that he actually does carry a lot of risk when you start actually looking, looking a little bit beneath the surface. And because of those reasons, I'm probably going to drop him down towards the bottom of tier four closer to guys like Damian Harris, Josh Jacobs, uh, guys like that, where, you know, we kind of know they're going to be locked in for some of the work, but we don't really know what upside is there. And we don't know how much we can trust the coaching staff to make them the featured guy. So I have optimism for Robinson. I think he can do it all. I don't know if he's the most explosive athletic talent, but he's definitely more explosive and athletic than Carlos Hyde. Um, So those are my red. Those are my caution flags with him. Where right now I have him at RB seventeen in PPR. I'm probably going to settle with him, probably closer to around twenty four, twenty five when it's all said and done. So when you get to guys like, let's say like a Mike Davis or a Damian Harris or you know like we're talking now about a James Robinson, I just want to go like week one. Now let's say like you notice that those guys are out there for. Uh, three downs, you know, because like you said, you you have question marks around those guys. Let's say they don't have a super strong game. Do you look to go ahead and make a move and say based off of, let's say, snap percentage or something like that, and you go, you know what, like that guy got a lot of snap percentage. He was out there for a lot of third downs, maybe threw a couple errant passes to him that he didn't catch or something like that. Like then are you trying to look for those guys who people might say, you know what, Maybe I could dump this guy. Are you trying to look to make trades for for guys like that in specific who you feel that maybe the week one showing uh, wasn't justifiable to what they potentially could do for the rest of the season? Um, I mean, are, are, you talk, are you talking about just looking at the early season? Because, I, I mean, you don't want to overreact too much to week one, but I think some of the things you want to look at is like you, you don't want to just look at snaps. You don't want to just look at the box score in terms of who got the carries I think you want to look at what they call high-value touches. High-value touches are who is getting the touches inside the 10-yard line, inside the five, at the goal line. Who's getting the targets? I would much rather have a running back on my team who's getting 10 carries a game and five targets a game 
but his carries are coming when the team is in scoring position inside the 10, inside the 5, as opposed to a running back who's getting 20 carries, but his 20 carries are, are coming in between the 20s. And once the team gets near in scoring position, they're putting in a, a goal line back or they're putting in uh, their third down back to, to run a wheel route out of the backfield and catch a pass for a touchdown. So I want to look at targets. I want to look at routes run. And I want to look at red zone snaps, red zone carries. And those are the numbers that can be highly indicative in terms of what this player's role is going to be, how much touchdown potential does he have, and how much true fantasy potential does he have on a points-per-game basis, especially in a PPR or half-PPR type of format. I like that. That makes a lot of sense. And you, I, I know that's one of the things that you looked for is, you know, wait till a guy has a couple down weeks in a row, but there's something that you see there. And then you go ahead and you, you know, you try to make a trade or, you know, try to get a hold of that guy. What about Mostert? What about Sermon? I know you're a little high on Sermon um, in the drafts when, when we were looking, you know, through the ADP draft board. Those guys were right next to each other. You know, what do you see with, with Sermon? Like, what's his role probably going to be? And then what's what's Mostert's role going to be? Because I think the San Fran backfield, in my opinion, is probably one of the most underrated in the league. Um, some people have them like the 23rd, 24th, 25th, you know, running back stable in the league. I would kind of disagree. I, I like Mostert quite a bit. I think he's going to do a lot of the heavy lifting. I think, you know, Sermon's going to come in. and They're going to kind of be like a lightning and thunder one-two kind of punch. I like them, but I don't know enough about Sermon just, you know, based on his college stuff. But, you know, what kind of work did you do on him? And, and what do you think maybe that San Francisco backfield looks like? Well, the one thing that we have to keep in mind is that, you know, you look at what the backfield was like the last couple of years that Tevin Coleman's no longer there. That was kind of Kyle Shanahan's boy who he brought in from Atlanta. They had that history together. Uh, Jeff Wilson still banged up. We don't know when he's going to be back or even when he was healthy last year, he was still struggling to even maintain like the third running back spot in the depth chart, even though he did flash for a couple games. I think the key point here is to say that we kind of know any running back that gets true opportunity in this offense, they're going to have spike weeks and they're going to have big games because that's the offensive line. That's the scheme of Kyle Shanahan, the zone blocking scheme all the way back to his dad and, and the running, the kind of like quote unquote, no name running backs that used to really pop off when it came to the Denver Broncos. And even in Kyle Shanahan's days, running offenses with the Washington football, Washington football team, the Redskins back in the day and with Atlanta and now here in San Francisco. So that goes, that all goes to say that I still have Mostert and Sermon very close in my rankings overall. I mean, Sermon's a guy who's got a pretty solid athletic profile uh, coming out of college and if you're going to leave it to me and I have a kind of 50-50 debate in terms of a talented rookie and a guy who's been in the league for quite a few years already, I'm almost always going to go for the rookie or the, or the young talent in that case. And, and Raheem Mostert, as explosive as he's, as he's been, he's never shown the ability to stay fully healthy with a full workload either. I mean, you look at his games over the last couple of seasons, he's had big games, but he, he hasn't been a running back that's been able to get more than 14, 15 carries on an average basis and been able to really hold up over the test of time. So I'm worried about Raheem Mostert's durability. And I think that he could easily start out the season being the one a where Sermon's the one B, but we got to think about over the course of a season, we're not just trying to win the first four weeks of our fantasy football league. We're trying to have our team improve 
as the year goes on. And when you put a talented rookie on your roster in fantasy football in a season-long managed league, then that's a guy that has a very good chance of improving, learning, and growing as the season moves on. And then more time means more chances for Mostert to get hurt. More time means more time for Shanahan to trust Sermon, to leave him on the field in certain types of situations. So I'm going to go Sermon over Mostert here. And I think ADP has finally caught up with that um, to where I used to see Mostert considerably ahead of Sermon in, in drafts going off the board. I've seen a lot of drafts recently where Sermon's been going ahead of Mostert. And I think that that's kind of the new normal now is either they're going to go really close to each other off the board or Sermon's going to go maybe five, six spots ahead of Mostert in regards to running back. So I like Sermon more. I think you got to go rookie talent. Hey, Shanahan brought this guy in for a reason. And we know if a talented, even a halfway talented running back is going to get opportunities in this offense, he's going to smash. So I'm going to bet on that guy to come in and make a difference. I don't mind having them both on my team either. But I, if I had to pick one, I'm definitely going Sermon. I'm six spots ahead of the market on Sermon. And I want to remain ahead of market so I don't wait to, to have him in, in the next round. Someone else comes in and drafts them ahead of me. I want to be ahead of the market. I want to be actively, aggressively trying to target Trey Sermon in rounds six and seven of most of my fantasy drafts. All right. So I want to ask you two questions here. One about rookie running backs and then the other one about the Tampa Bay backfield. You and I, we went ahead, we did a draft the other day, and you said, don't mess with the Tampa Bay running backs. It's too deep. And I actually did another draft, and not one, but two, but three, all three running backs for Tampa Bay actually got drafted in that draft. I'm like, if Chris was here, um, you know, he would be happy that people are wasting, you know, just wasting picks on these guys. So why don't you talk about Tampa Bay first and the backfield, uh, what, what the issues are with, you know, taking any of those guys. And then I want to circle back with rookie running backs. And I want to talk about the difference from having, let's say, like a Tom Brady as your quarterback versus, let's say, like a Zach Wilson. And I'll get back to that. But why don't you talk about some of the cautions you have for people who are, you know, still going to end up doing their draft season long drafts, stuff like that. But just touch a little bit on that Tampa backfield and, and kind of the concerns that you had the other day when you brought them up to me. Well, I think the concern is, is that, they brought in Giovanni Bernard. And I mean, I've been a Bengals fan my entire life. And there was a point in time where Giovanni Bernard wasn't just a pass catching running back. Uh, he was an every down back for the Bengals and a very good fantasy player for quite a few years before he got hurt himself. You know, we're talking five, six seasons ago, but he's still a very capable and talented running back. And uh, what does it mean that the Buccaneers brought in a pass catching specialist at running back? That means Tom Brady wants a pass-catching running back on his team. And let's be real, like Ronald Jones is so bad at catching the football, he made Leonard Fournette look good at catching the football. Leonard Fournette is not good at catching the football. He never really has been. He's mediocre at best in that department. You know, and, and Leonard Fournette wind up getting crucial playing time over Rojo down the end of the regular season and in the playoffs, not just because of Rojo's injuries – but because he proved reliable, at least semi-reliable, in the passing game. And you know Tom Brady and all the rapport he built with James White over the years in New England, that that's a very valuable part of his offensive strategy and his game plan. So the fact they brought in Gio Bernard, a lot of reports out of training camp are saying that Gio Bernard's expected to have a pretty sizable role 
And I wouldn't be surprised to see Gio Bernard actually take away early down reps from both Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones. So basically we're, ta- we're, we're turning this from a two-headed backfield into a three-headed backfield. And the most important part of a fantasy backfield is the pass catching. And we know that that's all going to go to Giovanni Bernard. So now you're talking about two running backs in Fournette and Rojo who are going to be fighting for carries where unless you score a touchdown, you're getting like one point for every 10 yards. I mean, if the guy rushes for 100 yards and doesn't score a touchdown, you still had a bad day. You know, you, you got 10 points. Like you need the pass catching upside in order to give you that floor and, and bolster the ceiling potential for these players. And that's why we're so high on some of the guys in tier three, like we talked about with Eckler, with Najee Harris, with Aaron Jones. Uh, the fact is, is that Fournette and Rojo have basically zero pass catching upside now. And if they don't score touchdowns, they're absolutely busting for your team. So I'm taking Gio Bernard in the 12th, 13th, 14th round in a lot of best ball drafts that I'm doing right now because he's just sitting there. No one's taking him. Uh, and I, I think he's going to be the leading Buccaneers running back in fantasy at the end of the season. So I'll take the value where it comes with that, but I'm not drafting Fournette or Rojo anywhere. Maybe if Fournette falls in the 14th, 15th round, and you just want to add a guy for depth on your bench, I get it. But I'm not, I'm not touching Rojo with anything because he's already been on thin ice when it comes to his trust with the coaching staff, with the fumbles, with the drop passes. Tom Brady and Bruce Arians can only put up with so much of that. So uh, that's why I'm out on those two and, and why I'm actually in. I'm actually in on Giovanni Bernard and fantasy. Yeah, and that's where they were going, Chris. I mean, they were going really late. But, I mean, there were, there were probably still some quality wide receivers that guys could have picked up. Uh, you know, like you said, it's Bernard's going to take all the catches in there. So, you know, you're hoping and praying that, you know, if you draft one guy or the other, that, one you know, one of the main backs go down. I want to ask you about the rookie running backs. I ended up taking Michael Carter and Javante Williams in the same draft. Now, I have two rookie running backs. Now, look, if if they had an Aaron Rodgers as a quarterback or Mahomes, I would be less likely to go ahead and touch, you know, a rookie running back, let alone two. But I think the fact that they have unproven quarterbacks like, you know, Bridgewater is going to look to I – don't, I don't think he's going to go out there and, and try to do Aaron Rodgers-type things. I think they're going to rely on probably every aspect of the offense, and I think Javonta Williams is going to be a big part of it. But I also think Michael Carter is going to be a big part of the Jets' offense, reason being is Zach, Williams, or Zach Wilson um, is very young, and I don't think they want to put him into you know any bad particular spot where he has to go out there and try to win each and every game. Uh, I think the Jets will rely on their running attack um, quite a bit. Now, I'm not sure because I haven't actually done the work, but what what's your like? What are your feelings when it comes to rookie running backs? Like, do we look at them? Are you looking at the rankings, or are you going by you know, like I said, like maybe the quarterback situation? Like, how are you grading those guys? Because they got to be the hardest to grade. Like. You feel pretty good about Sermon right now. He's a rookie coming in. But where do you feel about those particular guys in general and rookies in just general? Like, what do you do with them? I, I think in just it's not too much different than what we're looking at with the other the guys in terms of how we're ranking and valuing players for fantasy football in our drafts is that you have to look at situations. And, and, and football is, is all situational. It's depth charts, coaching preferences, coaching schemes, game scripts within a game. All these things dictate what players get certain opportunities and what players don't. 
and what players are like very immune uh, to some of these variable factors. Like you want guys who aren't influenced, like a guy who's going to be able to get his work, whether his team is trailing or playing from ahead. Uh, uh, You know, even in in a roster that has three or four running backs, you know, this guy's going to be the clear cut number one with a rookie. You don't know that because you have no sample size to work off of. But the couple things you can look at, and this is something that if you really dig deep into a lot of dynasty research and fantasy and, and players who study rookies and their impact over their first four or five seasons in the NFL in regards to fantasy football, you really want to look at the draft capital that, that a team spent on a running back. And, and when you look at a running back who was taken in the first two rounds and their hit rates over, over the last 10, 15 years, their hit rates are very high. Uh, teams that go out of the franchises that go out of their way to spend that much on a running back at a position these days, especially where, you know, you don't need to spend that much on a running back. So when you see teams invest that draft capital, you know, those running backs out of the gate already have more of an opportunity to get playing time than others who are drafted in the third, fourth, fifth rounds and later and later. So I think if you're a top three round rookie, you're looking at a decent opportunity to get work in the backfield, but then you got to look at the depth chart and situations And the fact is, with the New York Jets, I'm starting to kind of get out on Michael Carter because uh, the coaching staff has started to say they plan on using a rotational three-back committee to start the season. And they've got about four running backs who could legitimately get carries in this offense. we got Tevin Coleman there now. Uh, We have uh, Ty Johnson, who got work last season, who's still there on the team. Uh, You've got LaMichael Pirine, who I believe was drafted two years ago in the third round or the fourth round, who, who's still trying to make a name for himself as well. So all of a sudden now you go from Michael Carter, a pass catch, a pass catching rookie, and what role is he really going to have? I mean, some of the last couple preseason games, he wasn't even running with the first team starters out there. So uh, I, I still am in on him as a talent, but in terms of a first-year contributor in fantasy, a consistent contributor, you're starting to see the pathways to Michael Carter actually working out well uh, they're starting to become more slim because he's got competition with three other guys as opposed to Denver where Javante Williams, it's just him and Melvin Gordon. Melvin Gordon has injury concerns. Melvin Gordon's getting older. Like there are ma- many more clear paths to Javante Williams becoming the clear cut starter in that offense than there is a Michael Carter. So long story short, it's situational. Are these guys drafted you know, as high end prospects? Do their franchises invest heavy draft capital into them because you know that's going to lead to them getting a chance to get a lot of work out of the gate. And then it comes down to the depth charts and what the coaches are saying and how, how many guys these, these guys have to compete with when they come out in week one. So Michael Carter's basically in a four-headed committee competition. Javante Williams only has him and Gordon. So if, if I'm ever faced with that choice to pick between Sermon, Javante, and Carter, I used to kind of look at them all the same. And I've got Carter way lower now than those two other guys because – Essentially, Sermon's got to deal with Mostert. Javante's got to deal with Gordon. So I'm, I'm going to go. I'm going to go with the talented rookie over the veteran in those type of 50-50 scenarios there. And that's kind of what, like, how I felt about it too when I was drafting him. As is, it was a 50-50. I, I, maybe I could do good with you know both guys, but I figured one of them would at least pop. And uh, you know, even out of the three, even with Sermon, I, I feel Javante Williams is probably going to be the better of the three. And the reason being is because of Melvin Gordon. I I trust Mostert more than I trust Gordon, and I even trust a lot of those Jets backup running backs more than I trust Melvin Gordon. Um, 
as of right now. When we talk a little bit, uh, maybe let's buy and sell some guys. Why don't you talk about, um, you know, some of the guys that you're really low on and some of the guys that you're really high on, um, just as when we're looking at our boards. I mean, you could go ahead and say, like, these guys are the guys that that, that I like this year. These guys are, um, um, you know, less likely uh, to agree with the experts. Is there anybody that really sticks out? Because there was one guy that you mentioned uh, that – I, I disagree with you a little bit on, and then um, maybe I'll just see what see, you know. See who you're high on. See who you're low on. I love the fact that you're hot, really high on Aaron or uh, Rogers or Rogers. I, I don't know why you want to keep saying Rogers. Aaron Jones. Um, I like the fact that you really like him a lot too, because obviously I'm a Packer guy, so that makes me feel pretty good. But who are you high on? Who are you low on right now? Well, you know, we, we've kind of been going down the tiers a little bit. We talked about tier three, which was Jones through CEH, and that's basically number three through number 12. Uh, we touched a lot on tier four, which is, you know, Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb, guys who have the early down role secured but don't necessarily have the third down role secured, which in fantasy is the most important role to have. Because, again, if you have Nick Chubb or Jonathan Taylor, let's say these guys get 17 carries – they rush for 100 yards, it's a great game. But if you're in a PPR fantasy league, you got 10 points unless they scored a touchdown. And touchdowns can be very high variance things to get. So, uh, again, that's why you don't push those guys high up on the rankings as you do the guys who are who have lo- a locked-in target floor compared to them. Uh, other pass-catching backs that I like in Tier 4, DeAndre Swift's a guy I like a lot. But the problem is, is he's got a groin injury right now. And Dan Campbell just seems like an absolute moron as a head coach. I mean, some of the quotes he said, sleepy, I mean, like biting guys like legs and kneecaps off, like that just, he just seems so off, like off the map that like, what's he actually going to do when a game actually, is this guy going to wind up getting carried off the field by referees and thrown into like an insane asylum or something? You know what I mean? It's just like, I don't trust Dan Campbell, but if, if you know, if Dan Campbell had any type of confidence as a head coach, he would feed the ball to DeAndre Swift, who to me is by far and away the most talented running back from last year's draft class. So because of like the ceiling potential that Swift could give you, like if he actually got a starter's role, like with the pass catching experience in college that he showed and that he showed last year, like, man, Swift, like if all things go right, Swift is like top five running back hands down. And like, that's why I'm willing to take him if I get to the third round, I have one running back on my team and one receiver. I'm maybe willing to bypass a receiver like a Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, Tyler Lockett, and go for Swift as my RB2. Because, like, you don't want Swift as your RB1. There's too much risk there. But, again, you're, you're, ba- you're drafting players on if this goes right. And if things go right for DeAndre Swift, like, he's going to kill it in fantasy. So, guys like that, Daryl Henderson, very similar. I have – Swift 15. I have Henderson 16. The market has cooled off on Henderson because he came down with a minor wrist injury. Seems like it wasn't serious. Uh, And then the Rams traded for Sony Michelle, and now people are scared to draft Henderson. I've got Henderson in the same spot as I had him before, but he's dropped considerably in ECR and ADP over the last week since the Michelle trade happened. But the Rams and, and Sean McVay, their experience with having a running back on their roster that has a degenerative knee condition. And Sony Michelle, just like Todd Gurley, 
has a degenerative knee, like knee arthritis, serious condition. So how long and how much of a role can Michelle even have on this team? Like he just might be there for just depth and maybe a few goal line carries a game. So I'm not just going to completely fade Henderson just because the Rams traded for a guy that's never even been able to be a starter on his own outside of maybe one and a half years in New England. So I'm still higher on Henderson because, again, he's in the type of offense and has a decent enough offensive line, quarterback, receivers around him to where if things go right for Henderson and he stays healthy, he has clear top 10, maybe even top five potential, just like we thought Cam Akers had before Cam Akers went down. So I want to be thinking about you know glass half full scenarios and why are you going to draft this guy? And I'm willing to take that risk and go for the upside for players in this tier as opposed to like the quote-unquote safer guys like Chubb, like Jonathan Taylor, even a Chris Carson, Mike Davis. Like we still don't even know what type of a role Mike Davis is going to have in this offense. Like we assume, we assume because the Falcons gave Mike Davis a contract, he's going to come in and get the same workload he got in Christian McCaffrey's absence last season. We don't know that. So we're assuming that. And it's even dangerous to put him in the top 20 because this guy is a veteran now that's starting to get to that age where running backs simply don't perform well. And, you know, maybe Mike Davis was just a one-hit wonder in that replacement role last year. I still think he's a pretty solid player. But again, like, you don't want to be too high on a guy like that because you do not want to assume that the workload is there. And that's why a lot of people start to call once you get into the 20s, mid-20s, late-20s. People call, call that the running back dead zone because it's a lot of guys who on paper, they look good for a lot of work. But literally week, week one, week two comes around, their team signs a running back off the street. And all of a sudden, uh, Mike Davis is competing 50-50 with Quadri Allison, like a former seventh-round pick. So the, the, the workload that we think is going to be there is really fragile at the end of the day. And that's why you want to be careful drafting guys like him, Miles Gaskin, David Montgomery. Um, those are some of the guys in tier four that I've been avoiding for the most part in my drafts. All right. So let's see if I can get one bet out of you. And then I do want to ask you about, you know, backup running backs that, you know, that, that you have to, that you have to get on your roster um, no matter what. Uh, but first, the bet. It seems like you have Miles Sanders in the dead zone. Would I be right w- with saying that? Yeah, he he's in there, and and you know I want people to be clear. Like the dead zone is uh, it, it's it's a very general, vague type of topic where it's like on, on average you don't want to be taking running backs basically from the end of round three through like rounds four and five. Uh, it's like these type of running backs where we think they're going to have that secure workload, but we really don't know. And, and think, one example I want to bring, bring up that I've heard some really sharp people talk about over the years and that I believe 100% is like, and you know this too, Sleepy, when you apply it to fantasy, you really see how this applies. And it's like wide receivers, when's the last time you ever saw a, a number one wide receiver on a team and his workload's in jeopardy because they signed a free agent off the street? It doesn't happen. Yeah, it doesn't happen. But with running backs, boom, you draft Clyde Edwards-Hilaire. Last year, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was a top five pick. They signed the the aging Le'Veon Bell. And all of a sudden, like, you're worried that he's going to lose work. Like, that's how fickle the running back position is. And that's why you want to be very careful 
about drafting guys in this range because we don't even know if some of the guys in our top 12 have true secure workloads, let alone guys in the teens and the 20s. So that's when you got to really be careful. Well, I think one of the reasons why I was high on Sanders was the fact that that Philly offensive line last year uh, was just an absolute mess. And I don't think they're going to look to have Hurts uh, running around like a maniac this year. He does have some, you know, healthy weapons in in Rager, Goddard, and, uh, the, you know, the rookie Devonta Smith. But uh, you did bring up a good point when it came to – I forgot what you said, actually. That It, it brought up a, a really good point uh, with Sanders. Well, oh. well and, I, and I got a little – I think it was – I think it had to do with, with Howard and on Johnson uh, getting cut. Yeah. So that, that, that was one, that was another good. reason. Yeah. That's a good Yeah, that was another reason why I kind of like I liked him going into the year and my buddy was like he's like you got to be careful. He's like Carry on Johnson's coming in and he was like but I don't think he's even going to make the team. I'm like, "Well, that's crazy." And he was like, "I don't know." He was like, "You never know." He was like with Peterson, he's like a lot of things are going to change and he's like if you see Carry on Johnson maybe not make the team, maybe the new coach Sirianni uses Sanders as, as a three down back to pass catching back. Like they just give him like a, a, a big, big workload. So new coach there, carry on Johnson gone. Now Howard, I think is gone too as well. So for me, um, I like Sanders quite a bit. I think he actually has, I think he actually has a, a bounce back year, but we don't have to necessarily bet on that, but I'm not sure where you have him in your rankings. I'm guessing he's somewhere in the mid twenties, but I have a feeling he finishes uh, inside the top 15 or yeah. maybe even inside the top 10 uh, at the end of the year when all said and done. But I do want to ask you real quick, Chris, before we go here uh, about backup running backs. Uh, we know everybody's taking the top guys, but if there's a, a handful, give me like three or four running backs that are the backup guys that if they fall to you, you have to take them. Who would they be? Because I know one of them was Pollard. I know you're high on him, but. Uh, you could even touch on him a little bit, but who are those guys at the backup running backs that if they fall to you, have to take them? Yeah, and, and just real quick, like the Sanders part, I agree. He struggled really bad in the passing game, and he, reports are he's been struggling in the passing game and training camp too. So my worry with him is that when mobile quarterbacks tend not to check down to running backs, and the fact that you add that into the mix and the fact he's been struggling really bad with drops – and the other two running backs on the roster now, Sleepy, they're both pass-catching specialists, Boston Scott, and then the rookie, Kenneth Gainwell, basically another pass-catching running back. So that's the only thing that worries me is you're going to need to rely on really high efficiency and touchdowns from Sanders, which I think he can do. I think he's a very talented player, but that's what's keeping me from moving him up into the teens as opposed to the low to mid-20s. But uh, in regards to that, I mean, I mean, in terms of the backup running backs, we kind of move to the next tier. Tier five starts with Kareem Hunt, number 31 overall. Um, but people know the story with Hunt. I think that he's the most expensive backup in the league. Where Can you really start him on a weekly basis? I don't know about every week. And I think his price tag is just way too high at that point, being grouped around guys who actually can get a starting workload potential like Zach Moss or Devin Singletary with the Bills. Uh, third third down backs like Naheem Hines, James White, um, J.D. McKissick, like all these guys have potential to be standalone flex options at the end of the day. And and these, these guys are going well behind a guy like Kareem Hunt. So I really like guys like that. If you're in a full point for PPR, full PPR league, 
Like if you can get one of those guys as your third or fourth running back on your roster, like Naheem Hines, James White, especially with, with Mac Jones being announced a starter in New England, and the fact that like he's a guy who's going to be more apt to check it down to the running backs like James White was used with Tom Brady. So I like McKissich. I like Hines. I like White. And I, and I already talked about Giovanni Bernard. Though, though I, I grouped all those guys in the same type of boat uh, because they had that PPR type of floor. And Gio Bernard's the one guy out of that group that I think actually could take away some early down carries as well uh, in that offense. So those are some guys I like in tier five and tier six. Uh, the premier backups, obviously, I mean, I don't know if you need me to tell you this, but A.J. Dillon, you know, could, can he be the 1B to Aaron Jones's 1A? I, I struggle to believe that because he's not a well-known pass catcher. And when you look at Jamal Williams, what I brought up earlier is that the last three seasons, Jamal Williams has had a minimum of 35 up to 45 targets per season. And my guess is that A.J. Dillon's going to get 25% of that at the most. So you're talking about an extra 30 carry a uh, 30 targets, excuse me, that are going Aaron Jones's way and maybe 20, 25 more receptions for Aaron Jones as well. But if Aaron Jones gets hurt, then AJ Dillon is like the smash play of the century. Just as if Zeke Elliott gets hurt, Tony Pollard's in that same boat. So AJ Dillon, Tony Pollard, uh, those are the most expensive handcuffs to own. Alexander Madison's right up there. Uh, I would look at a guy like Damian Williams. Uh, you know, he took the year off of football last year. The last time we saw him, he was uh, being debated as should he be the Super Bowl MVP. So this guy's got some juice in his legs. And maybe Justin Fields gets under center. Something happens to David Montgomery, and David, Damian Williams becomes the next featured back in that, in that offense with Tariq Cohen continuing to struggle to get healthy there as the pass catching back as well. So I think he's another handcuff that you can get a lot more value on because he's not getting drafted as high as AJ Dillon or Tony Pollard is. And then, I mean, a couple other, I mean, we could, we could go all day with this, but a couple ones I just want to mention real quick is uh, no more Sony Michelle in, um, in new England. I think the rookie Ramondre Ramondre Stevenson has a chance to carve out some work, especially the fact that we all assume again in the dead zone we all assume Damian Harris is going to get this massive workload. There's no guarantees to that. This guy Stevenson could come out and play his ass off and all of a sudden cut into Damian Harris's workload. Uh, and I think the same thing applies to Chubba Hubbard, another rookie that's now in Carolina. Uh, if CMC all of a sudden can't handle that workload anymore, God forbid he goes down and Chubba Hubbard is all of a sudden in the Mike Davis role from last year and he's a rookie with more explosiveness we could be talking about the same thing all over again that we were with Mike Davis in the form of Chubba Hubbard. So I, I do not mind stashing Chubba Hubbard. I can get him in like rounds 14, 15, 16. And I think the same thing applies to Darrington Evans, second year running back behind Derrick Henry. Um, those are some of my favorite handcuffs to try to stash. And you don't need to have the running back ahead of them on your roster in order to get these guys. Like, sure, if you, if you, feel, if you feel, feel like it's a safe move, go ahead and handcuff your first or second round running back, but just because you don't have just because you don't have Dalvin Cook, that doesn't mean you can't draft Madison. Just because you don't have Derrick Henry doesn't mean you can't draft Darrington Evans or likewise with CMC and Chubba Hubbard. So those are some of the guys I really like the most. And then and just lastly, like taking a couple flyers at the end of your draft on the Baltimore second and third string backs now. Like we we don't know if Gus Edwards is really going to be the main the main guy there. Like you said, 
He wasn't good enough to be the starter before. And who knows, maybe Tyson, Tyson Williams winds up being the next like undrafted uh, running back to break out. Or maybe it's Justice Hill going into his second season. So those are two guys I don't mind taking stabs on in like rounds 15, 16. Because I think the price tag, by the time we're drafting in most of our home leagues next week around Labor Day, I think the price tag on Gus Edwards and James Robinson are going to be very high to the point where even though I think they're good players, I I just think it's going to be too expensive to take them that early. Sounds like a lot of those guys, Chris, like you you kind of want to make sure that you have them in your best ball league. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, more more than your regular, you know, PPR type of league or whatever. When uh, you know your twelve team kind of thing. All right, well, 100%. go ahead. You want to finish up anything else, or are we pretty no, good? No, I mean, that's a great point, and you know, that's something we haven't talked about a lot when, when we talk about fantasy on our podcast. That's something we will be getting more into uh, over the course of this year and, and and next season as well. Is talking more best ball, talking more dynasty as more more of these formats become way more popular. But absolutely, like in best ball, you just need a couple weeks of these guys to start. Even if Dalvin Cook misses two weeks and Alexander Madison starts for two weeks, then you're getting like 30 uh, potential fantasy points in a game from a guy you took in like the 14th round. So absolutely in best ball, you want to stash at least a couple of these guys on all of your rosters. And and, and one guy that I kind of glossed over earlier that, I, that I've been moving up my personal draft boards, he's in that dead zone but he's not getting drafted till like round six or seven. And I think the value on him there is very good is Chase Edmonds. And if he stays healthy again, all things go well. You're looking at a guy who's like a really talented pass catching back in a very efficient offense where he could, you know, have, you know, top 10, top six, top seven potential just by staying healthy alone. And the only person right now he's got to compete with touches in that backfield is an aging James Conner. So the, the more the more we get closer to our real drafts, uh, the higher I've been moving Chase Edmonds up my board as well. All right. Well, good stuff, Chris. Thanks for jumping on, doing running backs. Uh, you and I will probably do wide receivers, tight ends, and we'll talk what kickers and defense if we need to. Uh, we'll probably get that one either done tomorrow or the next day. But uh, as I mentioned, you guys know where to find Chris on Twitter, at Mad Journalist. You guys know where to get me at SleepyJ underscore pregame. And uh, if you guys are looking for our NFL season package, uh, that is up at thebettingpredators.com. As I mentioned, you'll get our player props uh, each and every week, along with all our DFS fantasy stuff and, and season long stuff from Chris. Um, and then all the, uh, you know, all the bells and whistles as well to help you guys go ahead and uh, win some money. But with that said, we'll, uh, we'll catch you guys again on the, on the flip side. Peace out.